Previously on Too Many Enemies. It becomes cheaper, easier, accepted to kill somebody who stands in your way for economic reasons, for tenders, for example. You know, there are those comrades that we used to be with in the trenches who turned against the revolution. And the Boswana hit. Many guys came out and many guys shot many bullets. But just randomly shooting, shooting the car up, shooting it full of holes. I'm in Menland, Pretoria, a 10-minute drive from Brooklyn Police Station, where the Wandile Boswana case was first opened. And I'm only a kilometre away from the Kharsfontein Road off-ramp, where the assassination in broad daylight took place. It's one of those standalone McDonald's with the drive-in snaked around it. The actual restaurant is closed, of course, because of COVID-19. So I join the queue of cars and prepare to order a meal. Hello? 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 Hi, can I please have a quarter pounder with cheese uh, meal with Coke Zero, please? Quarter pounder with cheese meal with a Coke Zero? Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you. I'm at the McDonald's specifically because that's where my source wants to meet. No recording, I've promised. He wants to be kept strictly anonymous. This is because he's going to give me information about what is in the police docket. What evidence do the cops really have on the Boswana assassination case? Hopefully, we're about to find out. Welcome to Too Many Enemies. I'm Paul McNally. In these six episodes, we will be looking at the assassination of billionaire Wandile Boswana and what his murder means for the state of politics, crime and justice in South Africa today. We pick up the story after I have eaten and I'm sitting with my anonymous source. The McDonald's is to my left and besides that, I can't really reveal anything personal about this source. He speaks through a mask, as do I. His is blue, mine is black. We are parked together in my Ford Fiesta. He opens the window a crack and says that hopefully we won't give each other the corona. In last week's episode, we were told that the hit on Boswana was allegedly organised by Vusi KK Matabela, and we were left with the accusation that the hit was ordered by a prominent person within the ruling ANC party, Supra Mahamapelo, while he was Premier of the Northwest Province. He's subsequently been ousted. Here is a clip from the SABC of Supra responding to the accusations on the news as they began circulating shortly after Boswana was killed. Northwest Premier Supra Pelo has since warned against what he terms unintended messages that may lead to unintended results. We also, as the government, want to say to people who are making unfortunate insinuations that there is rule of law in this country, 
they must allow the police to do their work. We have full confidence in the law enforcement agencies in this country. In that clip, Super is serious. His wide shoulders are almost blocking out the sun as he talks to the cameras. It should also be noted that Super denied the allegations several times subsequently, especially in a statement issued in September 2019 where he said that they were, quote, fabricated lies, end quote. And then he added, quote, the allegations are part of a plan to destroy me, end quote. These appeared on iol.co.za. I'm also here to talk to this anonymous source to discover if there is more evidence against Supra, particularly if there is anything of value in the police docket that may lead even to an arrest at some point. It's the 16th of June, Youth Day, a public holiday. The source's girlfriend is waiting in his car on the other side of the lot. They have plans to spend the afternoon together. He feels exposed and looks out the back window constantly as we talk. He's in my car for almost an hour, and he confirms what Temba Guabini told me in the last episode. There are two phases to this case. Phase one involves alleged assassin Vusi K.K. Matabela and his three co-accused. For phase one, the source says he already sees them as being convicted. In my mind, they are gone, he says, meaning that there is enough evidence against the alleged assassins at this stage to see a positive outcome. Vusi didn't actually pull the trigger, but he allegedly organized the hit. More on how Vusi is coping in jail and how he has had his criminal powers stripped away from him in a later episode. It is phase two, the source says, that gets political. He says the police docket currently contains written statements from a range of people that allegedly link Vusi and his gang with ex-premier Supra. Specifically, they say that Vusi and his men were allegedly employed by Supra to assassinate Boswana. The docket has had a fascinating journey. It was opened in 2015 and stayed with the Gauteng Provincial Office of the Police until 2016, when it was handed over to the investigative unit within the police known as the Hawks. Now, this should be good news, but the source says that the docket was severely compromised while under the command of the Hawks. He says the work was 90% done when it was handed over, only missing a few necessary forensics. But the case was set back by years before it went back to province in August 2017. Also, under the Hawks, the case was divided into the two phases as it exists today, the first criminal and the second political. And the source says this was so the police would be encouraged to focus more energy on the alleged assassins and kick the chance of convicting politicians into the future, where it may never happen. Since being away from the Hawks, the docket has been fully restored. During that time, our source is convinced that copies of the docket were made and may even have been leaked. The source is convinced that Supra should be terrified of the docket 
because there is enough in there to see him arrested. So he says, the material in this docket that Supra would, according to the source, be so scared of is these written statements. They are from sources who claim they have reason to believe that Supra would order a hit. My source says our time is up. He opens the car door to get out. We don't shake hands, of course, but we do promise that we will meet again to discuss these matters further in the future. This leaves me asking, what type of man is Supra? Outside of stern news clips, what is his personality? What is he like? I need some insider knowledge. And to get this, I go to one of the leading political journalists in the country. Sam Kelemase was senior political reporter for the SABC. The SABC is South Africa's public broadcaster. So how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks, sir. Are you working from home? I have to go to the office from time to time, but today I was at the office. And is, there, is it quite busy there? We're operating on a skeleton staff. Samkele, when I chat to him on an internet call, has a disarmingly light description of Supra. You've seen him singing on a number of occasions. He's a very jovial man. He's even said he'd be launching his own album. Supra sang literally, but also figuratively when putting his efforts into showing his hearty dedication to former President Jacob Zuma. While Supra was still the premier, how he sang uh, the praises of uh, former President Jacob Zuma. You've got a statue of the former president of the Northwest Province. So he's a jovial character, very fun, um, uh, very outgoing. This jovial nature, of course, comes with a caveat. But uh, you must not fool his kindness and think that he's a political wimp. And uh, you go to the allegations that he's also faced uh, in having his hands in the cookie jar at Danel by getting his son a 1.7 million rand bursary to study aviation. Danel is an arms company, and people have asked how this deal for Supra's son came about. Did Supra Muhammad use his close proximity and his political might within the African National Congress uh, to persuade the Danel board to give his son this particular contract? While that bursary was revoked, it's also worth mentioning that the infamous Guptas, the family involved in South Africa's state capture scandal, also had business dealings with Danel. The links with the Gupta family and uh, the number of projects they had within the Northwest province. But media reports have also alleged that Supra may have been involved with many other questionable companies. You look at the close links that Supra Humamapilo had with uh, companies such as Bosasa. Bosasa specialises in providing services to government particularly prison services. And explosive corruption allegations were levelled at the company during the Zondo Commission of Inquiry in 2019. The African politics has evolved, particularly with the change of guard and the presidency at Luchuli House. He's talking about the change of presidents from Jacob Zuma to Cyril Ramaphosa in 2018. And it's important to remember that Supra was a Zuma man through and through. The ANC then was settled on Maposa being uh, having this huge reception by South Africans and by society. He was able to persuade the African National Congress that maybe it's time that we disband the Northwest province as a structure. They essentially put the province under administration, which means the control of the province's financials were handed over to Treasury, so put on a national level rather than a provincial level. And at the centre of this were the protests helmed by the Northwest Business Forum. You'll remember them from the last episode. Protests that were there inspired by the business community within the Northwest province. 
And it ultimately led to President Cyril Ramaphosa cutting his trip short from abroad, came back. Basically, the society, the populace, the residents of the Northwest province are ultimately the ones that led to the demise of Supramama Pilo as the premier of the province and not the internal structures of the African National Congress. The opinion of the business forum was that Super could not conduct business and be a politician at the same time. Also, Supramama Pilo was also heavily involved in business. As you remember, he owns two McDonald's franchises. He was also accused business fraternity that he was uh, operating as both premier and as a business person. And there was a conflict of interest from his side. Uh, I've never seen him doing any business with the state, but there have been uh, various allegations against him being a corrupt politician. Uh, of course, none of these particular allegations have ever been proven in any court of law. They still remain as allegations. But Supramuama Pilo did have a very... Um, bad spat between himself and the business community. When I ask Sam Kele about Wandile Boswana, he repeats what others have told me. This man was not innocent. Boswana was a very uh, connected businessman, particularly within the high echelons of the African National Congress, not only within the North province, but also Wandile Boswana was shrouded with a lot of controversy on his side. Remember that uh, the Northwest province all their government uh, buildings, which are currently housing all the departments or most of the departments, are, have been sold. This is the accusation that one of the ways Boswana made his money was by buying government buildings at a very low price and then renting them out, sometimes back to the same provincial government. He had a huge property portfolio. And um, Supramuama Pilo, in raising questions of how the government department's uh, buildings were sold in the Northwest province, raised a lot of eyebrows. He never mentioned a lot of names. He never mentioned any name, as a matter of fact. But what he did say was that you as journalists in this country need to question how did the Northwest end up losing close to 80% of its government buildings to private individuals? At what price did these business people buy these particular buildings? At what rate are they renting these buildings to the Northwest uh, Provincial Government? Those are the questions that are being raised by the then Premier of the province. Super did this because it was the only ammunition he had against his political rivals, even if it made him look incompetent at running his own province. But at the height of your demise as a political career politician, you are bound to raise those particular issues, which to me was very bizarre because he was in the internal structures of the African National Congress and he was one of those people who were presiding over the Northwest Provincial Government. His duty was to ask those particular questions on what truly happened. But, as we heard in the last episode, Super continues to move in certain political circles and still has a raging rivalry with the business forum. The rivalry dates back to when Supramamabilo was the premier of the province. It is the Northwest Business Forum that started the sporadic uh, protest within um, the Northwest province. They are the ones who are complaining to the African National Congress, NEC and top six of the wrongdoings uh, that had been going on within that particular province. So they are, they've, been, they've played a central part in, uh, in uh, removing uh, the government of uh, Supramamabilo within that province. In politics, all you need is time and space. Only time will tell whether they will be able to mend their bad relationship or they will continue being uh, nemesis.
So we have Botswana and the Business Forum on the one side, and Supra and the Northwest government on the other. We know from the last episode that Botswana and Supra at one stage were very close, but that relationship broke down. To understand why these accusations towards Supra exist, why he's being accused of being involved in murder, I need more information on Botswana's dealing with the provincial government. What were these deals and tenders that were happening at the time of his murder? I'm at the office of the newspaper Pretoria News to visit Baldwin Indaba, the journalist who has written about Botswana's tenders and the case in general. Okay. I'm being signed and checked in, quizzed about my health. Do you have cough fever? No. Nothing? No, no. I'm then shown around the corner to the lifts. Thank you very much. When I get upstairs, I find Baldwin in a large office all by himself. People are working from home, for sure, but also Sukunjalo Independent Media Consortium, the company that owns Pretoria News, has had some layoffs. So I I just heard about this guy, Wandile Bozwana. You know, when people talk about something, you just listen. I was aware of him because of his fights with... uh, with the then premier, Supra Mahomapilo, and him belonging to a different faction in the northwest. When he says different factions, he means within the governing ANC party. And when he says they were fighting, it was over Botswana not being allocated certain government tenders. Baldwin takes a look at his screen, where he has a number of articles he has written over the years, open in various browser tabs. He clicks his mouse a couple of times and then focuses in on a particular tender that Boswana got. He was awarded a tender in 2013 to build a hospital just there, just not far away from where we are, in Bratz, in the northwest, so to build a Bratz hospital. So that project was not completed. He demanded that government must pay him for the for work that he has done. Yeah, okay. So there was a settlement agreement that, yes, we'll give you this amount of money. The 30 million. So there was an agreement that was made a court, of, a court order at the Mahiking High Court. And when the provincial government became aware of all this, they wanted to nullify the agreement. So he then went back to the High Court to demand an enforcement that he must be paid back. So they wanted him to get nothing. They wanted him to get nothing. Wow, okay. So now, what happened is, during that week... He means the week that Boswana was assassinated. He attached 30 million from the public works department in the Northwest. And the Northwest government applied to the Constitutional Court to force him to return that money. So that matter was adjudged in the High Court on Tuesday three days before Boswana was assassinated. So the matter sat down just that week when he was killed, and judgment was reserved on that particular day. So the High Court ruled in his favor, and the government appealed they lost. That's how then they lobbied. They went took the matter to the Constitutional Court in 2015. 
Baldwin is the one who wrote this story up for the newspaper. I said, according to the insiders, this could have been the motive for his murder. Mm. Because he was taking the government head on. That has been the, the narrative that we've been pursuing. Mm. That he could have been killed because of his opposition or his fights with the, the provincial, the Northwest Provincial Government. Mm. He has been relatively successful in challenging, in challenging the Northwest Government. Okay. Yes. And uh, during my reportage of, of the matter, it then turns out that the 30 million was not the only battles that this man had with the provincial government. Baldwin, at this point, leans way back in his chair. I actually thought I had a, 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 I had a scoop. Mm. But when more information came to my attention, I said, this is not only 30 million. You know, you are talking about billions Yeah. Here. Yeah. You're talking about billions. And then five months later, we got a verdict. I was actually going through some of my stories that I wrote here. In March 2016, then the Constitutional Court ruled in his favor. Mm. You see, he was dead now. But the Constitutional Court ordered that his company can retain the 30 million. After his death? After his death. Okay. You see? Yeah. So the Constitutional Court rules in his favor. In this instance, Baldwin says he respects the outcome from the Constitutional Court. Even if it was a bad judgment, you can't change it because the Constitutional Court is like the... Yeah, there's no room to appeal. Yeah, there's no room to appeal. Yeah. Mm. And what was interesting for us is we conducted our own investigation. We probed and... uh, Bondile Bozona's death was not an easy investigation. Mm. The main person that they were making an accusation against was the former premier of, 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 of the Northwest. I mean, they made the accusation to an extent like the North, I mean, in their public rallies, they especially the Northwest Business Forum, the EFF, they fingered him in the matter. Mm. They said, you are responsible. Some actually went and made statements to the police that they think this guy is responsible for, for his murder. These are the statements that are in the docket that my anonymous source talked about earlier when we met near McDonald's. As a result of those statements, he, he rebutted them on a number of occasions. And in most cases, he also threatened lawsuits. Mm. He actually served papers, legal papers on them. Temba Guabini, who we met in the last episode, was slapped with a criminal charge thanks to Supra. The charge was that him and another colleague tried to corrupt him while he was in office. But that matter has yet to go to court. From my view, is this, thing, this case... Whatever outcome it will, it's going to kill the careers of quite a lot of people. Political careers? Political careers. Okay. The point is that there are allegations of corruption on both sides of the spat between Supra and the Northwest Business Forum. To balance those that think Supra is facing jail time, Samkele, the political journalist who we heard from earlier, 
believes that Supra has a political future and is planning and plotting his return as we speak. Supra Bomapilo is definitely on the ground mobilizing support for himself for the next provincial conference. Whether he will win or not is up to the delegates of the ANC in that province. He says it is very difficult to predict the outcome of the ANC conference in the Northwest. And um, Supra Mamapilo has always come out uh, victorious on the 11th hour when many people thought he was down and out. But will he emerge once again? Only time will tell. And uh, the Lord Almighty is the only one who knows. But uh, this time around, he does not have the support or the full support of the ANC's National Executive Committee. His own core is split uh, right down the middle. When it comes to him, many people feel that uh, it's all about Supra and no one else, and he could never sacrifice himself for another person within that particular core. But Supra is a political animal, and this time around he's facing an uphill task of winning the province because he does not have the support of the higher structure of the African National Congress. I did contact Supra for an interview. I requested that he respond to these comments about his history with the Northwest Business Forum and the accusations leveled at him involving Boswana. He refused to grant me an interview on either topic. Now, let's hear from private investigator Mike Bolhays that we met, you'll remember, in the last episode, The Place with All the Flamingos, on the matter of Boswana's death being a political hit. And in this situation, there was government involvement, there was speculation, and that is the case, that there was a high-up official from government involved, which gave the command that Boswana Wandile is to be taken out because he is literally a pain in the ass. Mm. He's he's swimming upstream, he's not going with the flow. Mm. And obviously he had information on all of them and could expose it Mm. because he threatened with exposure. Baldwin echoes what we have touched on before. He heard it from a senior prosecutor that the case was split into two parts, the criminal and the political. This was even raised at Boswana's funeral. Here is Baldwin again. At the funeral, Figilem Balula. Fikele is the Minister of Transport and used to be the Minister of Police and the Minister of Sports. He's a big deal. In, in his address to the Mona said, we do not only want the killers, but we want the person who instructed them. Mm. He said that at the funeral? Yeah, he said that at the funeral. Mm. There is way more on Fikile around this case. He was actually questioned by the police, though he was never technically a suspect. He was reported to have contacted alleged hitman Vusi Matabela. You remember the assassin with the nickname KK, who we talked about in the last episode, on the day of Boswana's murder. So the man who piously called for justice at Boswana's funeral was also calling the alleged prime assassin on the day of the murder. <laughs> We're going to get more into Fakile and his role in a later episode. You know, to kill a person, yeah. it's like a service delivery protest. In this example, the service is the money. He only protests, and violently so, if, for example, a municipality is not providing you the services that you need. Baldwin elaborates. If these guys were hired and the killer did not, doesn't give them the money, they are going to spill the beans. Do you think they haven't been paid? No, I'm not saying it. Okay. I am saying is, 
if these guys were hired, then the person who hired them must be able to service that debt for the rest of his life. For okay. him or her yeah. to be free okay, uh, from prosecution. So that's, that's in, in such cases, in most cases, people who have entered such contracts end up conflicting, fighting over small things. So Baldwin means that the alleged assassins, those that are on trial, are going to need to be receiving ongoing payments for eternity. Otherwise, they're going to reveal who employed them. They have to keep financing that transaction. To stop them from talking. To stop them from talking. And it would be an expensive venture. In the next episode, we are going to go deeper into the world of the alleged assassins. We're going to see them on trial and find out if any of them are going to talk. You've been listening to Too Many Enemies. This podcast series has been produced by me, Paul McNally, and podcasting company Volume. It's brought to you by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime in partnership with News24. You can find out more about the Global Initiative by visiting globalinitiative.net. That's globalinitiative.net. The music for this series was composed by Oman Mori. This episode was mixed and mastered by Gwynch Sarame and Richard Rumney. Join me next time for the third episode in this series of Too Many Enemies. Goodbye. Next time on Too Many Enemies. He looks like a nerd, really, you know? Vusi. Vusi, yeah. yeah, with his glasses on. Pleasant looking, as I say, nerdish looking. And, you know, he looks like all dressed up to the T's. Slight build as well. Very. A tiny, tiny guy. In fact, look, I'm not a tall person, and I think he's about the same height that I am. Mm. Um, But scary. He looked at me, and I sort of got the chills, you know. Volume.